Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day and this opportunity that we get to worship you. I pray now, Lord, that you would use me, speak through me, and make your presence known for the next 30 minutes as we engage with your word and look at what it really means to live in community truly unreserved. In your name we pray. Amen. Hello and welcome to New Life. My name is Mark. I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life, and we are so excited to have you here with us, especially if you're here for the first time. If you've never been with us before, we're just honored that you gave us a chunk of your Sunday morning. You could be anywhere watching videos anywhere on the internet. Instead, you're choosing to be here with us, and we are so thankful and so grateful for that. This weekend, we're wrapping up a year-long emphasis called Experiencing God Unreserved. There's lots of messages on our website to go back from different series and watch about how we have been talking about the same subject for a year. Today, we wrap up that year-long emphasis with a message on Experiencing God Unreserved through community. Through community. In my lifetime, there has never been a season of more isolation, separation, anger, frustration than what I've seen during COVID-19. For many of us, we have a lot of broken relationships right now. For most everyone, I think that we had people who we did consider friends and we associated with before COVID who we may now plan to never speak to again. It's been a time of unrivaled self-righteousness, anger, hatred, backbiting, name-calling. When I preached a few months ago, I did not expect what the next few months would bring. I didn't expect the emotional and relational wreckage that was on the horizon. We need community now more than we may have ever needed it. For some of us, our communities have shrunk. For others, it's completely evaporated. And for those communities that we've hung on to, they generally have grown deeper. So when I sat down to write this message, I asked myself the question, what's the point? What do I really want people to get out of it? Which, by the way, is a good question to ask anytime you're going to preach. It's good to ask yourself, what do I really want people to get out of this? And I, at first, didn't really have an answer. I mean, typically at this time each year, I preach towards the end of August or the beginning of September for one to two weeks, focusing in directly on community. It's an attempt to convince you, really, to join a small group in September. And by the way, I still want you to join a small group in September. We're going to have over 20 small groups in and around the community, and some of those small groups are going to be online. So if you're worshiping exclusively online with us right now, there's actually going to be digital communities that you can join starting at the end of September. And I would love for you to join one. But I was faced with a really harsh reality, and that is, do small groups really answer or deal with many of the questions and the problems that we're facing today? As I look around, it's as though the culture and the world are on fire and when I go to the word of God, I found a church that existed in similar times, but they did so differently. When I look back at the history of the church during various eras, specifically during the first century, the first church, when we go and we look at the book of Acts, and I read about the type of community that they had and the type of the things that they did for one another and the way that they live, I look at that every time I prepare a message on community, and I can never escape this sort of sinking feeling that we've settled for a decaf version of what church could be 
and what church should be. And so what do I want us to take away from today? The one thing I want us to take away is the world suffers when the church doesn't work together. In fact, that's our take-home point today. Our take-home point's the one point that I'm gonna seek to make so that we can take it home and live it out in the week ahead, and it's this. The world suffers when the church doesn't work together. Last week, Pastor Chris brought a powerful message to us that was focused on turning away and turning towards. And if you missed it, you can go back and watch it right now on the New Life app or newlifexn.org and click watch and look at the messages. But for a five-second recap, it was really about the fact that we, as believers in Jesus, need to turn away from our sin and turn back towards God, a basic act of repentance. And then after we've done that, we need to help others turn away from their sin and turn back towards God. And this doesn't happen by standing on the street corner with a bullhorn shouting at people to repent or they're going to go to hell. Now, there are some people who've actually responded to that message, but by and large, our culture is becoming less and less and less tolerant of that approach. No, instead, we need to find new ways to engage with an unbelieving, confused culture to bring the life, the love, and the truth of Jesus to them in a way that they can actually receive. Throughout Pastor Chris's message, he had this powerful statement, and I want to reiterate it. The mainstream culture has moved slowly, nearly imperceptibly at first, from bemoaning our sin, from seeking ways to overcome our sin, to calling all things good. Whether it's sexuality, marriage, or indulging in physical desires, we have removed the label of sin and began to call it good. Many Jesus followers in our time have sought to remove themselves from such a culture by developing our own Christian subculture. By developing our own Christian subculture. I was just reflecting on that the other day, my wife and I were driving home with the family and I noticed a church sign. Now, I oftentimes notice church signs because I love them because they're usually terrible and hilarious. And so my wife and I usually read them uh, together. And, uh, and, and then, you know, we, we chuckle about church signs. But this one caught my attention, not because of what it said, although it said something, um, but because of what it was made out of. Now, typical church signs are constructed of like brick, and they have like those, those little uh, sections where you can swap in and out letters. And each week, they'll put maybe uh, the name of the pastor might be permanently up there, and then the, the sermon title. And then typically, a church that we like reading the signs of will have what they believe to be kind of like a witty or a funny saying that, that typically is just like ultra, ultra cheesy. I'm not trying to rag on church signs, but I'm kind of trying to rag on church signs. This one was different. It was actually a vinyl banner that had been printed and then they had staked it with two metal stakes in the front yard of the church. And the metal banner read, cross training every Sunday. Cross training every Sunday. Now, it's a play on words. If you don't know this, CrossFit or cross training is a very popular workout routine. And about every small town right now has some sort of a CrossFit gym. We have one in Saxonburg as well. But they were also kind of a play on words, kind of like discipleship, right? Cross, like the cross that you're picking it up, right? The cross that Jesus died on training in that cross. It wasn't a great connection, but there was a loose connection there. But what was surprising to me was that not only was it posted in the front of the church, but somebody actually had it made. Like somebody or some group of people at some point sat in a room and they made an order for this specific banner. 
This wasn't permanent, it was temporary. Now, listen, I'm not trying to say anything bad about that church. I'm actually confident that that church is full of really great people who want to engage with their culture. That's why they put the sign out there in the first place, right? They want people who don't know Jesus to come to their church and come to know Jesus and have their lives radically changed, changed just like we do. The problem is, is that when we create a Christian subculture, instead of engaging with the culture, Signs like this become what we mean when we talk about cultural engagement. It can be a really dangerous thing. Instead of engaging with people who don't believe what we believe, instead of building relationships with them, instead of loving them and not treating them like just another notch on our spiritual belt, we hang signs in the front yard or make Facebook posts in hopes that someone will engage with us. Instead of engaging with the non-believing world, we create an isolated subculture and tend to invite people to come and act like us before we can introduce them to Jesus. It's one of the things that I love about New Life is that we are a belong, believe, behave church. We want you to belong first. That's our number one priority, that if you have a pulse and you're willing to put on clothes, you belong here with us at New Life. And guys, I'm not blaming us for creating the Christian subculture. I do the same thing. I get it. I feel way safer with you than I do with the world. Way more comfortable. I like hanging out with people who think the same things I do, believe the same things that I do. I don't have to get in arguments with them. We have the same core values. We have the same or similar convictions. In fact, if there's anything that's been overwhelming during the last six months, it's been the sheer amount of other views, political, spiritual, worldly views that are out there that are different than ours, that we may never have even been aware of, but they're so counterintuitive to us, we just can't comprehend how someone could even get there. It's effortless to hang out with people who are like you. But we can't convince people, we can't help people turn away from their sin and turn towards Jesus if everyone that we know and everyone that we engage with already knows Jesus. So at this point, you're thinking, Mark, this message is supposed to be about community. You're not talking about community at all. You're talking about evangelism, the way we live our lives, cultural engagement, Christian subcultures, Christian bubbles. What the heck is this message even about? Well, it actually is about community. Because the only way that we can consistently engage with a non-believing world is by having our base firmly rooted in good, solid, life-giving Christian community or Christian fellowship. But here's the gift. Here's the thing. The community is the tool, not the goal. The community is the tool, not the goal. I actually wanted to use fuel there, but fuel goal, I don't think rhymes as well as toll goal. The community is the tool, not the goal. The goal is clear. Jesus told us what the goal was. In some of his last words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he says this in Matthew chapter 28. It says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, as I, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
The goal is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All the mission statements and, and purpose statements and core all of that stuff that's out there in all the churches across the grid today, and many of things, those things are helpful and life-giving, by the way, all of them pale in comparison to the one mission, the one statement that Jesus Christ has given to every church, to every community of believers for all times. To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why Pastor Chris's uh, church that he grew up in, which he talked about last week, always said, believe, repent, be baptized. Believe, repent, be baptized. To disciple all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we come to church and we know these things, and we begin hearing the pastor speak about community and the importance of community, we generally do one of two things. Either we ignore it because we don't think we need it, or we overindulge in community. And please, and, no, please understand what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that coming to church and attending a small group is overindulging and therefore sinful. In fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews says this to us. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of us are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day, the day the Lord is going to return, approaching. So we are to continue meeting together. However, if we gorge ourselves on Christian community and never engage with non-believers, the non-believers around us, we don't become spiritually fit, we become spiritually fat. If we gorge ourselves on Christian community and never engage with the non-believers around us, we don't become spiritually fit, we become spiritually fat. Weekend attendance or weekend worship services and small groups quickly become tedious and irrelevant if we are consistently putting on pounds but never burning away any of the spiritual calories. At the same time, we get burnt up, exhausted, and we give up if we try to consistently engage a non-believing and often openly hostile culture without being rooted in solid biblical community. And believe me, this message is as much for me as it is for you. In fact, every message I've ever preached here at New Life is generally more for me than it is for everybody else in the room. I, I found out like as I was working through this that I'm part of the problem. Let me give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I had a young man reach out to me who wanted to talk. He was having a hard time in life and he didn't have anybody to talk to. I was connected to him through an online community and so I said, sure. We set up a call and we met online. He was a young man from the Czech Republic. He's an atheist. We had a great conversation and at the end of about 45 minutes, I offered to pray for him, which he accepted. He had never heard anybody pray before. When I wrote this message, I realized that in the last many years, I have talked to more atheists now in the Czech Republic than I have invited to my own home. Now, I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and I mean, I look at it, and I'm like, am I really more culturally engaged than that vinyl sign about cross-training? And I say it kind of in a joking manner. I know that I'm more culturally engaged than the vinyl sign, but the point is still pretty relevant. Am I really engaged, or do I just enjoy spending time with people who think like me? Do I use spiritual and biblical community as fuel 
for the mission that Jesus Christ has given me? Do you? Or do we gorge ourselves on it as spiritual gluttons? I know that's really harsh language, but when I look back at my life, I've spent a lot more time hanging out with people who think like me and believe like me than I have engaging with people that are different than me. Listen, I want you to find friends here at New Life. I really do. I want you to make life-changing relationships. I want you to find your best friends here. I want you to be able to experience church in some of the same ways that I have been blessed enough to experience church. In so many ways, church has been a family to me. And I want New Life to be like a family to you. Not just a family in word, not just a family kind of, not just a church family, but as the scripture says, we are to be brothers and sisters if we both believe in Jesus that we're family. And Jesus would even point out that it might be a deeper connection than our biological immediate families. I want you to find that type of connection. In fact, the apostle Paul encouraged it. He described the church like a household. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Build on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by his spirit. The community of the church was to be a temple to the Lord. We have been teaching, we have the teachings of the apostles and the prophets of our foundation. We have Jesus Christ firmly placed above our heads as the cornerstone. But a structure or a temple, a building, is more than just a foundation and a cornerstone. We are to be part of the construction, part of the walls, linked together, formed together to build the temple of Jesus Christ. The church really is the people, and the world needs it. If we don't work together, if we don't live in community with one another, and if we don't allow that to fuel us to engage with an unbelieving culture, then we don't look like a temple or a house or a family. We look like little more than a pile of rubble. And once again, I know that's harsh, but I know that the walls of this thing are supposed to be built out of our fellowship together, out of this deep community that fuels us and gives us the tools that we need to engage with a non-believing world. Jesus said this in John 13, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And we really can't love one another if we never get to know one another. This is why weekend worship and small groups are so central and so important to any church, but especially a church like New Life. They allow us to deepen our relationships with other believers. They allow us to be fueled up, to be sharpened, and to be sent out. They're a place that we can receive prayer and shelter. 
They're a place where we can receive some sort of protection from an otherwise hostile or chaotic world. Christian community, however, is at its sweetest when we are in battle together. There's a spiritual war going on around us, and it isn't against flesh and blood. It's about evil rulers and principalities in an unseen world. And as warriors together, community, when we go to battle together, the church and small group meetings, they don't become a place of spiritual gluttony. They become a place of triage, training, and regrouping so that we can go out and powerfully engage with an unbelieving world so that we can draw others to repentance so that people can turn away and turn towards. If you know Jesus online today, then I need you to know that he's not saved you for a lifetime of spiritual consumption or of spiritual isolation. Millions of people will never step foot through the doors of a church, and you work with some, you're related to some, and you're friends with others. I'll never get to meet those people. And they're never going to come here if you don't engage with them. It's not just about inviting someone to church and trying to drag them through the doors of the church. We're always appreciative of when you do that. But the kingdom is much larger than how big this place gets. It's how effective God's work is being done in every place. God didn't create a kingdom with borders. So the church isn't limited to these walls. And if you're worshiping online with us today, you know that. So I would love for you to get in the game. Maybe you've never had a spiritual community. You're overwhelmed, you're fearful, you're stubborn, you're exhausted with the way the world is. Then join a small group. Find a community. Or perhaps you're looking at your life and you don't know a single non-believer, at least you know almost no non-believers, then it's time to get in the game and start shedding some of those extra spiritual pounds. And if you're looking at the small groups at the end of September and you don't find one that you like, don't let that stop you. Start your own. Invite some friends over to your house. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to have some people over for a snack or dinner and then sit down and read the Bible together and talk about it. There's nothing truly magical or some secret formula about discipleship. It's about being in community, getting into the word, praying together, supporting one another, and growing together. That's really the heart of it. It's not brain science. It's not rocket science. It's not all that difficult. And I know that you're worshiping with us online, so if you're not living in our community and you're somewhere else, then start an online group. There are tons of really great tools out there. In fact, some would say that the online communities are more versatile and more helpful for engaging a non-believing world than any small group that meets in somebody's home or inside the walls of a church. Because in an online small group, you can invite a guy from the Czech Republic to join your small group because he doesn't have to drive to your house. You can start a Bible study on the YouVersion app right now and invite some friends from work that don't know Jesus to join you. And they can comment at any time throughout the day. You don't have to have a set time where they have to come over to your house. You guys can message back and forth at any time. Modern technology makes discipleship at our fingertips constantly. So don't allow being strictly digital to prevent you from being involved in powerful, life-changing, fueling biblical community. 
In fact, at the end of September, there's going to be a couple of purely digital small groups that will be meeting over Zoom or Google Meet. You can join in on one of those groups at the end of September as well. We would love to have you in one. Listen, the world is a mess. It needs us. Not just me, not just Pastor Chris, us. It needs the church to work together. It's not just a foundation. It's not just a cornerstone. We're the walls. We're the structure. When we work together and we link together, when we build life-changing communities with one another, we become effective in kingdom work outside. Then we're fueled up and sharpened and ready to go out into the world and engage with a non-believing culture. I have no idea what the next couple of months are going to hold for us. No idea. I've seen people predicting the end of the world all the way through. Some of my predictions have been after like the beginning of November. We're not going to hear about any of this anymore. Truth be told, I have no clue what's going to happen. I know when I look at the book of Revelation, it seems like it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. But it doesn't matter the circumstances. We, you and I, we have a job to do. And that's our next step this week. Our next step is really simple. We will get to work. I'm talking about kingdom work, not going to work. We will, and by the way, kingdom work is oftentimes found at your work, but we will get to work. The powerful part about this next step is that you can't do it by yourself. You actually have to depend on the other people that you're online with right now or other believers in your life surrounding you. You have to depend on them to do this together because it's a plural commitment. It's a next step that we are taking together as a body of believers, both here and online. We are going to get to work in God's kingdom. You really can't get to work in God's kingdom without first knowing who Jesus is. In fact, you can't at all. You have to first come to faith in Jesus. You have to first turn away from our sin and turn towards him. And maybe you're ready to do that today. And if you are ready to do that today, like that's awesome. You can step into this new life. Jesus called it being born again. But if you're not ready for that, that's perfectly okay. Maybe you're an atheist or you're an agnostic and you've just sort of stumbled into the stream because it's a safe way to engage with what Christians believe without ever having to set foot in a church. We love you and we're glad you're here. If you're not ready or anywhere near ready to take a step in faith, we're not judging you and we don't think any less of you. We're just glad that you gave us some of your time today. We appreciate you. And in fact, we would love for you to join one of our online small groups at the end of September. If you have a pulse and you're willing to put on clothes, you belong with us. In fact, if you're online and you're just doing audio with no camera, you don't even have to have clothes on. There's only one requirement. You have to have a pulse to belong with us online, evidently. We're just really, really glad that you're here. But maybe today you are ready to take that next step and you want to ask Jesus to come into your life and enter in to that ultimate life-giving relationship. Well, here at New Life, we've been saying for the past month or so that that's as easy as A, B, C. A 
is admit. It's admitting that you're a sinner. It's coming to God in prayer and saying, I've messed up. I know some of us like to pretend like we're perfect, but all of us ultimately know that we're not. We're all pretty messed up. B is to believe. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Believe that he died for you and that he rose again for you. And then C is to confess, to say it out loud. To say, God, not only am I messed up, but I believe in your son, I believe what he did, and I confess not only my sins, but him as Savior and Lord, and I want you to come into my life. The scripture teaches us that if we will do these things, these simple steps, it's not easy, but simple, that we can step into a brand new life with Jesus leading the way. Once again, it's not an easy life. It truly isn't. But it's the most rewarding and life-giving one that you can lead. So if you want to ask Jesus to come into your life, if you want to ABC, accept, believe, and confess today. I'm going to close the service in prayer, but before I do that, I'm going to give a moment of prayer, a silence for you to be able to do just this. Admit, believe, and confess. Let's pray. Father God, I hope that there are those who are online all across the country, all across the globe today that are coming into relationship with you for the very first time. I hope and pray, Father, that their lives are being radically changed. I ask you now through the power of your Holy Spirit to bring to them exactly what their need is. If it's comfort, then comfort them. If it's peace, bring them peace. If it's repentance, bring them to repentance. If it's forgiveness, help them to forgive. If it's healing, bring them healing. Meet them where they are, in their living rooms, sitting on their phone, in their bed, wherever it is today that they're choosing to engage with you. I pray that those who come into faith with you right now would have their lives forever radically changed. Thank you for this time, Father. Thank you for the fact that in heaven now there's a celebration at those who are coming to know you for the first time. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you just accepted Jesus for the first time and you've never done it before, there's going to be a little button inside the chat that says raise your hand. If you go ahead and use that button Touch it or click on it in the chat right now and raise your hand. It'll let us know that you decided to accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord for the first time today. And then you and I, we can get to work together this week. Thank you so much for worshiping with us online today. Be sure to come back next week and catch the beginning of an all-new series. Have a blessed week.